All right, welcome to yet another episode of the Empowerment Perspective Podcast. I go by the name of Dr. Denise A. Josie, and I'm joined by the one, the only, the talented, Miss Jamie Cohen. How are you today? I'm doing fine, thank you. How are you? I'm hanging in there. Hopefully, we can get this in before the storm rolls through New Jersey. Um, yeah. so we're going to try something a little different this in season six. We're going to shorten our podcast a little bit and give you more of our guests. Um, so we're just going to go right into... Um, Actually, a story I want to talk about um, that's recently in the news. Um, If you are from New Jersey, you may have heard about it um, across the the world at this point. But um, in lovely Mount Laurel, New Jersey, there was a gentleman that had um, some racial slurs and things with his neighbors. Things got out of hand. He put up his address, told everyone to pull up and come see him. And of course, the community responded. Um, There's a lot of things going on with that. Um, I just want to touch on that a little bit because um, the last couple, actually, if you follow us, a lot of our conversations has to do with culture and race. We just put it in education uh, space. But this particular one just happened kind of at home because it's not too far from us. Um, Jamie, what were your thoughts about? Um, I know you had some colorful thoughts and comments. I had to calm you down a little bit. Um, Just give us a general um, understanding of how you felt watching it. Well, I, I was very angry listening to it. And I just feel like, you know, the that there has to be some sort of, of it has to be equal all the way around. And it's not, uh, unfortunately. But I do love how um, people came together again to, to show that, you know, they're not going to allow this to happen. So the fact that um, there was unity in that did make me happy. But just another very, very... Um, disgusting situation to watch unfold right and I, I noticed that like a lot of young people first of all we're talking about this generation right and this young generation it's a good and bad part about this because if you tell them to pull up they're going to pull up and they may not respond appropriately um so there was some people out there that were throwing things and breaking things um and i started thinking like you're on camera they're gonna you're gonna get caught for that and you're gonna have to deal with it i mean i understand you're angry i understand the passion behind it um, but you, you got to be a little bit smarter about your actions with it. Um, he recently came out, the gentleman recently came out and said that he was drunk, and that's why he made those comments. Um, what was your feeling about that? About that uh, I guess his, his softening of what was going on. I have always said that I feel that when you're under the influence of anything, uh, a lot of times that brings out the truth, so I don't think that he should hide behind that. I think that the best thing to do in this situation is own up to it and try to move forward, not to use it as an excuse. Right. I actually, I say, you know, this is America. Unfortunately, you know, we're, we're watching it live unfold on TV right now. Whereas back in the sixties, you had to kind of get your, your news through word of mouth or through the newspaper. We're watching it unfold, but nothing has changed um, at the end of the day. Um, and we talked about, you know, all the, the marches and things that happened around here with George Floyd and Breonna Taylor and things, which is a great thing. But I'm always wanting to have a plan. Um, I, I, you know, I was out there marching just like everyone else and protesting, but we got to have a plan on the back end to carry, carry that momentum going forward. Um, and luckily for us, we're in a space of education, so we're able to uh, impact young people's lives. We were doing this work way before this happened anyway, so I mean, it's just kind of continuing right now. So I want to bring our guests into this conversation. Um, we're going to talk about um, her journey in education. We're going to talk about the concept of equity in education. Um, and specifically, I want to touch on how can we get more black males and black and brown males into the space of education. 
So as usual, I comb through LinkedIn <laughs> as I do on a daily basis, looking for content, looking for some good material. And um, I, I stumbled upon Dr. Hatchett and some of the work um, that she's done, uh, superintendent down in Kentucky, um, and looked at some of her plan areas, specifically her plan with equity and what she's going to do with her staff down there and the work that she's actually already begun, because I believe it started, um, her, her equity plan started back in 2020, so probably about a year in into this particular plan. But Dr. Hatchett, welcome to the Empowerment Perspective Podcast. Thanks for taking the time to, to talk with us. Well, thank you for inviting me. Happy to be here. <laughs> All right, so we're here at the Empowerment Perspective, we're big on the why. We wanna know why people do what they do. Because we believe that if you have a strong why, it's gonna propel you through the tough times and it kind of gives you a purpose. So let's talk about your educational journey. Like, why are you in this, in this space called education? Well, the reason I'm, I don't believe the reason I'm in education is because of my brother. One of the main reasons, uh, because I didn't feel that he got what he needed when he was in school. Mm. And so I didn't want that to happen to anybody else. Plus, I love kids. Like from the time I was little, I was always playing school. So it's kind of like, I guess, a combination of the two. Uh -huh. And so and then when I was in high school, I thought I want to be a big guidance counselor. But to be a guidance counselor, you got to be a teacher. Mm. <laughs> so mm. that's kind of yeah. So you were one of the ones setting up your dolls and you, you had them lined up and you were oh, you, stuffed you, animals, dolls, brothers, sisters, everybody. Everybody had to play school. So <laughs> that's awesome. Jamie, what did you do that too? I, I actually did. I had two brothers and two sisters, so I didn't need any dolls. I had enough siblings to play school with. <laughs> did they say you were bad? <laughs> That was the teacher. <laughs> <laughs> that's interesting. Um, so that's great that you know you you found a, a a space that you know that was needed. You saw something that needed to be changed, and you went on a mission to kind of fix it. Um, and you started as a guidance counselor, correct? Yes, I was. I was a guidance counselor. I was a. I did a little bit of everything. When I was guidance counselor during the day, at night I worked with alternative school kids. So I was an alternative school principal, but also taught class because there wasn't. Those of us that taught during the day, or, or we also were at night. And so for the first three years, I didn't even get paid for it. I just did it for free at night. Because to me, the kids in the day, they had a guidance counselor, but nobody at night had a guidance counselor. And they were the ones getting kicked out of school. Mm -hmm. So it didn't make any sense to me. I was like, well, how can they be down there and not get the services that they need? So mm -hmm. I volunteered. And so, and then I was teaching classes too, but I was also coaching basketball. And then I was the dance sponsor and the student council sponsor and the champion sponsor. I was doing it all when I was God's counselor. And, and, but it, it's basically Friday night school, Saturday night school. I lived at that school really until like 11 o'clock at night. I would start bright and early, 7 to 11, truly. I'm young. Whatever the kids that, needed. I think I found the female version of myself because I'm always <laughs> into a bunch of stuff, coaching basketball, doing a lot of kinds of crazy things. So yeah. I completely understand it. Um, I believe that if you have a gift and you just put it in different vehicles, that's what you're supposed to do. Um, that, that's awesome. Um, let's talk about your role as a superintendent now. So you okay. recently um, became a new hire of a superintendent. Um, and now, um, I guess, Talk about your leadership role. Like, how would you define your leadership style, I should say, um, in this new position? Or are you okay. still refining and shaping that stuff? I am very much a collaborative leader. That's how I, I that's basically how I roll. Like, um, I know at the end of the day, I'm responsible, ultimately. So mm -hmm. I gotta have my you know, checks and balances though. And so I always wanna know what everybody else is thinking. That doesn't necessarily mean that I'm gonna go with it. But I want them to have input because if they don't have buy-in and input, then it's it's not 
good. It's not about thou shalt do it. It's we're all in this together. I'm about the team. And I think it goes back to me playing sports and coaching and all that. That's how I see things. And we're always said there's no I in team or, and I always talk about us being a team constantly. I say teamwork makes the dream work. And they hear it 24 seven. Absolutely. Because I, I have that same, you know, sports background. So I'm like, if you're a basketball lover, like the leadership is the point guard. You need to know where everybody is on the, on the floor. You got to be able to give the right assist, put them in the right place. Every once in a while you shoot, get a little highlight or whatever. But mostly you're about, you know, your team and then making sure, you know, that the game flows the way it goes. Um, whether you're a football pl- uh, player, you, the quarterback is, you know, that, that, exactly. you know, that team. So it, I learned a lot from sports. So I can definitely relate to the collaborative nature of, of, uh, of that. Jamie, in the classroom, uh, what type of leader do you thrive on? Um, I have to say that in the classroom, it works to have someone that's going to um, listen to you and back you and, and give you the opportunity to go ahead and try something new in your classroom. So instead of someone, you know, saying you're going to do this, 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 and this, I, I enjoy someone giving you the opportunity to give something new a try and seeing if it works. That's awesome. Yeah. yeah. Um, so we're talking about this concept of equity um, in education. Um, specifically right now, obviously we're in a, in a uh, interesting time, um, coming on the heels of, you know, a lot of the social issues that are going on. So everyone was talking about equity. Everyone's talking about cultural response and teaching, um, and a little critical race theory, which I think a lot of people don't understand and just kind of throwing that stuff out there right now. But, um, how important is it to, uh, develop a, a school system that is truly based upon equity? Like there's a lot of leaders that speak about it, but I don't necessarily think they practice it because, you know, the, the old way was always easier to kind of go with. And now we're talking about changing things a little bit. So let's talk about the importance of, of equity. Um, and more importantly, I guess, I'm, I know I'm kind of all over the place, but I kind of feel like COVID exposed uh, the need to have equity um, in, in a sense. So uh, Dr. Hatch, how would you explain uh, the concept of equity? To me, equity is just meeting the needs of the kids no matter what the needs are, because not there's not one single child that's just alike. They're all different. They all come with different gifts, different talents, and different needs. Mm-hmm. And so to me, equity, it's not the same as equality. I think everybody thinks if I give you the same stuff, then you know we're all good. Mm-hmm. But I always say we're not a one-size-fits-all school district. You can't be that and meet the needs of your kids because that, I mean, that, to me, that's what equity is. No yeah. matter what, it's meeting the kids' needs, where they're yeah. at. So, so and, and in your new leadership role, how do you go about understanding what your population needs? Because I'm assume, assuming that year to year, these needs of these kids are going to change. Do you kind of do an audit of, of, of the things that yeah. you need to do in your school? Can you explain that process a little bit? Well, right now, uh, we're doing an equity audit. Um, and so we started off with looking at all the, the academic stuff, like where we are. We looked at our our strategic plan. We looked at all the different school plans and we looked at where the kids are. We looked at the, the, the demographics. That's just like, and looking at scores, looking at our handbook, looking at how many times we actually use the word cultural responsive. How many actually times do we use uh, the word equity? Like different things, the words that are tied together. Are we walking the talk? Are we just like putting it on the shelf? Are we saying, you know, special needs? Does that, inc- are we being really inclusive in everything that we do? Are we, you know, speaking the same language? And does everybody understand it? We talked about, um, we made, wanted to make sure that everybody understood their biases because everybody has one, whether they want to admit it or not. And so we did like training with everybody on implicit bias at the beginning of the school year. We're going to do it again this year because you can't just like touch base on something and leave it alone. And you have to make sure everybody's on the same page. And so like, 
we had to have buy-in from our parents, from our students, from the, the community at large. And so like I had this equity, it's called actually equity and inclusion um, committee and base it's anti-racism is the first part of it, anti-racism. But um, it includes our parents, it includes our site-based council members, it includes our board members. I mean, everybody had to be trained. Mm -hmm. And so, I mean, in the res we wrote this resolution that a lot of the parents wrote what they thought we needed. And so I took their buy-in, even sent it back out to them. I said, you know, I want to know outside of my team what everybody's thinking that we need. And so parents wrote, they gave me their input, got input from my from my leadership team. And then also we have students on the council too. And so then the board passed the resolution. And so we just kind of follow the resolution and what it says that we're going to do. And there's all types of different trainings throughout. We kicked off, kicked off our school year with training. We had training in the middle of the year, but we also like, we're just doing like, we're taking baby steps one step at a time, but we're doing a, an audit of our curriculum because we want to make sure that our curriculum is on point because, you know, the kids, they're, they're learning. We looked at it elementary, middle and high, and we're looking at the raw data. And if it's ugly, we got to fix it. You know, it is what it is. We know that there's gaps. And we're not perfect and we got a long way to go, but we're, we're trying to get there, you know, because we're, we're honest. Like we know some areas we're knocking it out of the park, but then there's other areas like, mm, yeah, you know, that ain't. <laughs> you know? And so we're just, that's how we are. It's like all of us and to me in our district, everybody has a role to play with equity. Mm -hmm. I don't care if you're the bus driver or if you're a food service worker, if you are the uh, curriculum specialist, no matter what, everybody has to own it. And so that's how we're looking at it. So when we do our training, everybody in the district had to have training. And so we're doing that periodically. So then we're starting off this year with training. We did training this summer. You know, we're just keeping it moving because we had to keep refining and looking at ourselves. And so when we get back, when school starts, we're going to do ask questions. We're going to do interviews with parents, interviews with our community, interviews with our students, interviews with our teachers, our board members, and see what they think. You know, what is it we... What is it we're doing well? What is it we need to improve and change on? And then we're bringing in the team. We consult, we've got a, the Millennium Group coming in and they're going to ask the questions. And they have like specialists for the elementary level, the middle school level and the high school level. And so then they're going to like, you know, we're doing, we're just going to like, because if we, we don't want anybody to say, oh, this is what y'all, you did it yourself. So we're bringing in somebody from the outside so that we can be as transparent as possible. And then there it is. And we're just giving our feedback. And then we want to grow even further and create an equity policy once we've got our ducks in the row from that information. And then I've already got like the health department's already signed on board to work with this because they had things that they're supposed to do with equity, but they've always wanted somebody to help them, like not just be out there on their own. And so we're like, okay. And then we've got like, um, we have partners that we can uh, partner with like Hitachi mm -hmm. and Heister Yale and different people like that. And they're like, uh, one of the human resource workers that he's already decided that he wants to be on board because he wants that to be part of his legacy. So we're signing on our community partners too, because they're helping us with uh, pathways. Mm -hmm. And so it's like checks and balances because basically we're feeders to the community, you know? And so it starts with, basically it starts in the home and yeah. it goes all the way around. So that's kind of how we're, how we're attacking it right now. Right. Does that make well, sense? Yeah, absolutely. I'm thinking now, I'm listening to you talk, and I remember we started this podcast maybe six years ago, seven years ago, and I remember the big thing in education was the whole child. And my whole argument was we're not teaching the whole child at that particular point because we're not talking about equity and cultural competence. You can't throw this whole child thing out there and put this, you know, 
smoke screen up like we're educating the whole child. And my whole argument at the time was like, that's not what we're doing. I think we're getting closer to that now because of what's happening on um, out in the, in, in the community and out in the world right now. Um, but a couple of things that you said is definitely key. Transparency is obviously a, a, a huge part of it. Um, and being any leader, I'm trying to be transparent as I possibly can. Um, but also giving students voices are is, is huge. Um, I think a lot of school districts are missing the mark on including a diverse group of students within your decision making. Don't just get the smart kids. You get everybody that's good, you know part of that, and and then let them have a voice. Um, you know we're big on student voices here in the Palmer perspective and giving kids a platform. So. You know, that's what we, we, we try to do. Um, on a micro level, Damon, we take it to the classroom. Like, how do you, what are some examples do you uh, have that you can give students voices within your classroom and make sure that everybody in your classroom is heard? Well, I think that um, in regards to the classroom, for example, when you're teaching a project, you can't, there just can't be one, this is the way you're going to do the project. This is the way everybody wants, I want everyone to hand it in. Everybody has different things that they're going to bring to the table. So as long as you're you're able to show me that you understand what we're teaching, what I'm teaching you, I don't care how you show it to me. You can write me a story on it. You can draw me a picture about it. You can sing me a song about it. We just as teachers have to know that everybody is different. It's not a one size all fits everyone anymore. So the the more open we are to what students are bringing to the table, the, the more we're all going to learn from each other. But Jamie, I have a pacing guide. Yeah. I gotta be at this point at a certain time. You, you can't tell me that I can't get there and do all these wonderful things. What but am I supposed why, to do? Why can't you get there and show me it in a different way? Just because you're not showing, Timmy's not showing me the same way that, that uh, Rachel is, it doesn't mean you didn't learn the same thing. You're just showing me it in a different way. I say all the time, it, we're, we're talking about it's a difference between skill and content. To me, the content is almost irrelevant. Like, we're, you, here's a skill that we need to develop. I don't care how we get there, what tools you use or what perspective you kind of come from, as long as you develop that skill. And I think a lot of teachers are kind of stuck in that, you know, content, content, content. I need to be at this particular point. Although, I will say being in COVID has made us shrink our curriculum. Now. We got rid of the fluff. And I think what you're seeing, not to change the subject a little bit, we're not going to see as big as a loss that we thought we were going to see in this COVID thing because we shut and shaved off all the fact. And I think now is a pivotal point in, in education where we can change the trajectory of education if we pay attention to it. We go right back to the same way that we did before this. We're, we're going to be in trouble big time. I want to switch gears a little bit and talk about black and male, black and brown males in education. Um, I'm thinking about it because one of the things I read in an article that you were um, uh, that, I, that you were featured in, you spoke about not having a black or brown teacher into graduate school, I believe, um, in one of your um, articles, I think. And I had kind of a similar experience. And I'm looking at myself and the very few other black males and brown males I know in education, and I'm trying to figure out how can we attract and attain more black and brown males in education specifically, especially in a female dominated industry. Um, so I don't know where you guys are within your school system in terms of your population, in terms of your staff, in terms of black and brown men, but um, do you have any suggestions on how we can attract and retain and retain these, these teachers of, of males of color um, within the educational system? I think part of it is fun. Well, kids have to see themselves and just getting mentors, getting like, that to me is big. 
and kids have somebody that they can look up to that are role models to them and giving them like opportunities to lead in the classroom, letting them like be teachers while they're here and then pointing those skills out to them that they're natural leaders, they're natural teachers asking them, you know, letting them take the lead on the projects and and do do things that you're going to do as a teacher and they don't even realize it by letting them like model it for them, giving them opportunities. I mean, that to me is, is part of it, getting those relationships with the kids, letting them take interest surveys to see, okay, how many of these kids actually are, really want to be educators and then maybe they just don't know it. Like, mm-hmm. and giving them like the tools, like, like one of the things we do is like we partner with uh, secondary education, post-secondary education. So we're trying to create those pathways. And so we're like telling them that like teaching is really the gateway to other professions. You might want to do other things, but teaching is a way that you can get there. Mm-hmm. So trying to get them to explore it that way and then try to reel them all in as, as they're at it while they're taking these classes and exploring things and getting them to take those introductory classes that could go either way. Absolutely. And then giving them those opportunities to learn. Like when you have like a, in the classroom, letting them work with the little kids. Like I like to have like my superintendent advisory council kids go and work with the elementary kids and partner up and mentor for them where they're teaching, you know, when they're sitting there and, and or, or even with their peers, mm-hmm. where they're being peer tutors. You know, there's all kinds of ways that I think, and just taking them places, letting them go to see, like uh, go to the colleges and universities and ask questions, mm-hmm. you know, don't just like wait on people to come to you. You take the kids yourself, you know, and just do that, do things like that. To me, opportunity and access for kids, you know, and just letting them see and talking it up, mm-hmm. hyping it up. Don't dwell on all the negative that goes with education. Mm-hmm. Try to hype up all the good things. And, you know, like I said, to me, though, the mentoring part is big and the relationships is key. Just knowing your kids mm-hmm. and, and that maybe they're better at a high, that maybe they'd be a good high school teacher or maybe they would be a good elementary teacher. You got to know your kids. That's mm-hmm. the key right there, knowing your students and getting them to try stuff. Absolutely. You know, letting them walk out there and letting them, but, but being selective, getting the kids to see that they can do this. Mm-hmm. You know, they can be the difference makers. You know, right. what is it they didn't get that they want? Mm-hmm. Well, then be that agent, be the change you want to see. I think the other part we need to discuss with them is the financial aspect of it and this myth that you don't make money in education. The mm-hmm. fact of the matter is I'm making way more right now as educated than I probably ever did in television, or at least it's relatively close. Um, so there is definitely money in there. If you're a hustler, especially, you can make a lot of money, whether you're coaching, whether you want to go into administration, you can create programs and stuff like that. So there's definitely ways to, to make money, but there's probably one of the few jobs that is not going anywhere. <laughs> <laughs> we need teachers, especially right now. I think again, COVID highlighted that. So you know, we were you know one of the few industries that didn't shut down. We were still working. So you talk about you know uh, longevity and things of that nature is also important too. Um, you touched on student voice too. I think that's a huge part of it. But exposure. I think our job as educators is to expose these kids. So we do things like take our middle school kids to college campuses and things of that nature and try to connect them to, to the outside world. Um, I just try to do things that I didn't do receive as a, as a child going through the educational system. So I kind of uh, flip it and try to add certain things that I wish I would have seen when I was going through it. So that's um, definitely important for the exposure part. But um, we got to definitely try to reach out and train and inspire more black and brown, brown males into the educational space because it's lonely out here, especially in, edu- in, in uh, administration. Work, I think working deals with scholarships too helps too because that eliminates right there a barrier right there, just getting the scholarships right there for kids too. Mm-hmm. Got you. I understand that. Um, 
Jamie, I'm going to switch gears now. We got like maybe 10 minutes left. So we like to have a little bit of fun on um, this podcast. So we're going to do a this or that, but I'm going to start with Jamie. Um, I'm going to give you two things. You got to pick one of them, or you can say both. You got to explain why you picked those things. So we're going to go with, I'll start off easy. The beach or the pool? I'm going to say, ooh, I like them both. Where we I live at now, the pool's new to me because we just got the pool this year. But prior to the pool, we were beachgoers every single day. The pool's a little easier and it's not as messy, um, but I do miss the sounds of the waves. Hmm. Dr. Hatchet, beach or pool? Both. Yes. <laughs> both. <laughs> We have to have a reason. We got to explain ourselves. Okay, because I think when I think about the beach, I like shells and like collecting shells and you think about the sand and like the waves and it's just real peaceful. Sitting in a tree, you can read a book or whatever. But you, but when you get in the pool, you can just chill, you know? I mean, to me, it, so I like them both. I, I wouldn't want to be without either one of them. You know, it just depends on what my mood is at the time. So I got but, you. I'm going to go neither. I'm not a pool or a beach type person. I'll tolerate it, but my ADHD uh, lets me does let me sit for too long. So I got to keep moving and then they're doing those things. Um, all right, Jamie, here we go. Let's see. Let me think about this next one. I got to think carefully about it. Actually, you know what? I'm going to do this. Dr. Hatch, I'm going to give this one to you because this one okay. you have experience in both of Teaching or being in ministry? Oh. Ooh. Administrator. Okay, we got to explain why. The reason why is because when I, okay, at every level, I feel like I have a more opportunity to reach more people. And I feel like as an administrator, I can touch more lives and impact it in more ways than I could. When I was in the classroom, you're more, you can touch the kids that you have, but you're limited. You can, you're given more freedom, even though you have checks and balances as an administrator, you're kind of the one calling the shots and allowing things to happen. Even though I always tell people in our district, I want them to have a growth mindset, think outside of the box, mm. you know, and I want them to do that. But I feel like I have a bigger reach. I, I just think about my journey. When I was a guidance counselor, I wanted to be a principal or assistant principal in every level. I needed to get to the next level to have a greater impact. And so that's why I wanted to be a superintendent because I wanted to have the greatest impact possible on the lives of kids. And so to me, an administrator, because I can still teach. Like last year, I, um, at the end, when we brought kids back into the school, you know, I was able to go into uh, one of the classrooms and they're like, the teacher had to leave. She was like, will you take them for me? I'm like, hey, I got them. And so you can still go in there and do that. Yeah. You have more freedom to come and go in and out of classrooms. You can see everybody and you can model that for the kids. Like my highlights when I got my superintendent advisory council kids, mm -hmm. I had elementary, middle and high because I can do teaching and learning just by how I walk the talk with the kids and then interact and do lessons all the time. So to me, I'd rather be the administrator because I'm still the teacher. Um, you're never going to get the teacher out of. Gotcha. Gotcha. I got one more for you, but I'm going to go to Jamie on this one. Be careful on how you respond to this, Jamie. Traditional teaching or what you do with the empowerment perspective. Be careful how you respond. <laughs> um, what I do with the empowerment perspective group. That's a lie. That's a lie. <laughs> but I'll take it though. <laughs> That's definitely a lie. Okay. <laughs> Ex 
explain why? Yes. Um, I do like tradition. I I'm going to say both. Again, because it's just different audiences. We, I love, and and Dr. Jones, you know, but I, I love my job. I love working with, with the students every day. Not always the, the grownups there, but I'm not there for the grownups. I'm there for the children. I love being able to work with, with children every single day. It's, it, I'm so lucky. But also working with the Empowerment Perspective Group, I get to talk to other educators and and you know, let them know how I got to this point in my career where I feel like I really feel like I touch all of the, the students that I work with. So I want to share that with other professionals so that they can know how to get into that space. Um, so we're going to close out, Dr. Hatchet. We'd like to ask our guests to give our educators that are listening um, at least a piece of advice for them, whether it be words of encouragement, any last words for our audiences who's truly um, largely um, educators. To me, education changes the world. You know, when you have education, it opens doors and creates opportunities for kids. I can't think of a greater profession because you're able to make such a difference. You know, I mean, to me, you just, you never quit. You can always be creative. You can think, challenge, inspire, motivate. You know, the sky's the limit with education because that's the key. You know, it can change lives, empower people. It makes a difference. It's the great equalizer, you know. Yes. Jamie, any last words before we get out of here? No, as always, you know, don't ever be afraid to think outside of the box to try something new in your classroom. Um, if you have the ability to work with children every day, I love it. Live it. Awesome. Okay. Yeah, absolutely. Okay. The, at the end of the day, if you don't do anything, make sure you know your students because that's yeah. the key. Know that student. If you don't do anything, you have to know your kids. It's about relationships. That's mm -hmm. the key. If a child knows you care about them, they will do anything for you. But mm. that's what starts. It has to be from the heart. You know, you got to have that passion and just know your kids because mm. that's what makes it tick for me. It's about the kids. At the end of the day, that's what matters. Absolutely. We have a saying here at the Primer Perspective, be a student of your students. And that's definitely something that you need to do. Um, just some housekeeping things before we close up out of here. Uh, for all of you aspiring assistant principals, we have our three part webinar series. Part one and two is on our website, theempowermentperspective.com. If you scroll down to our webinars, I did post two um, webinars on there. One, um, interview techniques for aspiring assistant principals. We also talked about basically the day-to-day -day life as an assistant principal, stuff that your schools did not tell you when you and your educational leadership programs We give you the nuts and bolts of that. Um, but we do, speaking of relationship buildings, we do have a third part on connecting the dots about using customer service and in order to be able to um, build effective relationships in education. Um, so that'll be posted shortly. Um, I might hold on to that one because we do do a lot of work with that. So I might only put snippets out there for that particular one. Um, also coming up with the Empowerment Perspective Group, um, we're gearing up for, we actually start talking about our Christmas drive, our toy drive for CHOP, Children's Hospital of Philadelphia. So be out on the lookout for more information about that. Um, we killed our goal last year. We're trying to do better than that this year. So um, make sure you check us out on all of your social media platforms. Again, Dr. Hatchet, thank you so much for spending time with us and we got this thing together and the storm's held off. It looks like it's getting dark out here, but <laughs> um, hopefully it won't be too bad. But um, thank you um, again for all the things that you do for our children down there in Kentucky. Um, definitely appreciate your, your work. Um, it's definitely God's work, and we definitely appreciate the fact that you are out here hustling and, and doing what you got to do to reach these kids. Um, so until next time, everybody, stay in power.